What's up, everybody? My name is Will. Welcome back to Thoughts That Count. Uh, play my music, man. Oh, really? We're doing this again? One second. Hey, man. Play my music. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking about common logical fallacies and the way that these interact with your life. Okay, so a lot of times these kind of concepts will be either used by people who are trying to convince you of something that may or may not be true, or the way that they say it, or common ways that people and companies will try to convince you of a statistics, for example, that will benefit their point. So a way that I see this utilized a lot is in politics, to be honest. I won't go too far down that road, but as I discuss this, you'll be able to kind of pick things out and be like, yeah, you know what, I have heard that and seen that used in the political setting. But these have such a wide variety of implications. It's very common that you'll see a lot of these just in your day-to-day life. So by definition, a logical fallacy is the use of an invalid or otherwise faulty reasoning in the construction of an argument. And the thing with logical fallacies is a lot of times they'll have the appearance of being logical or they'll have the appearance of making a lot of sense if you don't think too deeply into what's going on. So this first one you've probably actually heard of before and it's a slippery slope. So a slippery slope is basically stating that if we do one thing, then subsequently a whole load of other things will occur as well. So say for example, you're dieting, right? And you have a friend that is there with you. And you say, you know what, I want to have, you know, a cookie or I want to have a little cheat meal. And that person says to you, well, if you have one cheat meal today, you're going to want to have another cheat meal tomorrow and then maybe two cheat meals the next day. And before you know it, you're not going to be dying anymore because all your meals are going to be cheat meals. That would be a perfect example of a slippery slope because just because you have that single cheat meal does not mean that you're immediately going to go off the deep end and go down that slippery slope. But the way to disarm this one is basically by explaining that one thing does not necessarily always lead to another, to another, to another, and that it is possible to do one thing without it having a snowballing effect of consequences. But the next one we got here is the Texas sharpshooter or cherry picking. They're one and the same. They're basically picking a select amount of evidence or a select amount of data, even though it may not paint the full picture of what's going on. Now I'm going to include another one in with this one too, and it's using anecdotal evidence because a lot of times these ones will be used in conjunction with each other when they're being used to express a certain point. So anecdotal evidence is evidence based on personal experience. It's not always false, but typically it can't be used to generalize mass populace ideas. You'll hear the opposite of this being empirical evidence, which is evidence that has been studied and tested against in order to prove a certain causation. So let's, uh, let's do a hypothetical here. I'm going to make up a disease, we'll say Lovid 18. So let's say, for example, I personally get vaccinated for Lovid 18 and I rave about how it's giving me a tail and it's giving me seizures, right? That may be true that I actually am having these symptoms, but if I put that out into the world and I'm saying, you know what, this will definitely give everybody a tail and everybody seizures, that is me using an anecdote, a personal experience to describe the majority. The empirical evidence that would go along with this hypothetical scenario would be that the vast majority of hospitalizations for Lovid-18 are from the unvaccinated. This data would follow statistical procedure in its acquisition and would be better representative of the population as a whole. Now, if somebody were to see my posts about my experience with Lovid-18 and use that as a justification to be like, see, people are, you know, growing tails and having seizures, and that's why nobody should get the vaccine for Lovid-18 
then that would be cherry picking data because they would be using a very specific and narrow data set to explain a majority case, even though it may or may not be true. But remember, this is all just, you know, hypothetical, my examples on ways to, you know, explain these principles. <laughs> the way to defeat both anecdotes and cherry picking data is to provide evidence, empirical evidence, preferably, that not only discredits the anecdotal evidence, but paints a more full picture that would either explain or discredit the cherry-picked data as well. But let's move on to loaded questions. And I'm sure you guys have been subject to loaded questions previously, but a loaded question will place an assumption in the asking of the question. And usually it's a way that you know, a person will try to manipulate somebody. So for example, a loaded question to a girlfriend would be me asking them, have you stopped cheating on me yet? Obviously, if they weren't cheating on me, this question would be invalid in the first place because the assumption that I placed in the question that they are cheating on me is false. And even though this question was asked in a yes or no format, neither of those answers would lead to a solution to that argument, essentially. And this kind of questioning tactic leads very nicely into the next form of questioning tactic, which is black and white. And the premise of a black and white question would be supposing that an answer to said question would be either one thing or another, and that there would be no gray area per se in the answer of this question. And now a lot of times when somebody's asking a black and white question, they're ignoring the context that goes along with the answer to that question. And now the interesting part about a black and white scenario is it seems like it would be simple and very easy to identify, but it's not always that simple. A lot of times people will slide these assumptions into these conversations and unless you're very astute and you're very perceptive, it's very difficult to pick up on some of these things. So for example, say you're having a discussion with your roommate about getting a puppy. Oh, we all love puppies, don't we? But of course there's an inherent amount of work that comes with getting a puppy. So say in this example, I know you would never deny a puppy, but say in this example, you don't want a puppy. So you express to your roommate this and they quite easily can come back with, oh, so you just don't like puppies. Why don't you like puppies? Now, of course, this is a particularly simplified example, but immediately, instead of considering the quote gray area or the context on why you may not like a puppy, immediately became a black or white issue, whether you like puppies or you don't like puppies, when the gray area may be that puppies are a lot of work and they require a lot of time and attention and they may cause you to reprioritize parts of your life. So obviously be careful with this one. And the best way that I could say to combat black and white issues is to ensure that you're expressing the context that comes along with decision-making and be careful that you're not following victim to the forced assumptions of the person that you're discussing it with. But shout out to all my puppy owners. And also before we move on, I figured I'd have to throw this in here because I know my very lovely, very supportive mother listens to these episodes and she's very soon getting a puppy. Yes, this example was targeted and yes, it was done intentionally. Hello, mother. But moving right along, we got an appeal to authority. Now, an appeal to an authority can be kind of tricky because to an extent at every level, we appeal to an authority. When we are citing scientific databases and we are using the work of somebody else to justify our decision-making. But the key difference in an appeal to authority is more so instead of using the evidence that an authority figure provides, you say just because they said it, that's what's right. So for example, say that I like Will Smith and I like the work of Will Smith, but I say that, you know that Will Smith said that all guys named Will are notoriously good looking and charming. Obviously, I'd be a good example of that, right? <laughs> right? But if I just said, 
that's true because Will Smith said so, I would be appealing to an authority figure that you may not subscribe to. You may not respect that opinion that Will Smith has, and you may not even like Will Smith. So just because Will Smith said so is not a good reasoning for my argument. And the best way that I would say to combat this one would essentially just be knowing about it. So you already made that step listening to this episode, but being able to identify somebody appealing to an authority figure that you may or may not subscribe to is the best way to essentially dismantle that argument and say that you can't just say that because somebody of authority said so, that that's automatically true. Now, you may be asking yourself, what else can people who are arguing with me appeal to? And I'm glad you asked because that fits so well into my next talking point, and that is people appealing to emotions. Now, an appeal to emotion can be an incredibly effective tactic used by people because humans are inherently emotional creatures. And unfortunately, at times of great emotion, whether it be joy or sadness or love or sorrow, our logical decision-making tends to take a dip. And the tactic that these people will use, well, they'll make a claim, they'll add the emotional appeal, and then they'll quickly make a request for some sort of action while you're in that emotional state. Notice in that string, there was no evidence presented, and that's exactly the point. They would rather have you make a quick decision based on the way that you feel in that moment than to logically think about what you're actually doing. Now, an example that I can think of would be the in the arms of an angel, you know, pet commercials that want you to donate, you know, for however many cents a day. Now, them trying to convince you to donate is not necessarily a negative thing, but they are trying to convince you of something by appealing to your emotion, by making you feel sorry for the dogs in those, you know, those shelters and encouraging you to donate while that's still on your mind. Whereas throughout your normal day, you're probably not thinking or considering about donating to the animal shelters. And this is one example, but it's so common all across advertising and in media that they'll try to convince you to make a certain decision or to feel a certain way, usually buy something or pay money during a time of emotion. Here's a real nice relevant example for you guys. I'm sure you guys have all seen those financial gurus on Instagram and TikTok that want to give you access to their limited time live webinar that tells you how to make millions of dollars by the age of 21. And they're appealing to your emotion of longing or desire in order to get you to buy their product. Also, while we're on the topic of TikTok, your boy is on TikTok now. That's right. I know how much you guys love a shameless plug. At WillAlex12 on TikTok. But now that that's out of the way, the best way to defeat appeals to emotions is to try to sift through the emotional side of it and get to the actual logical reasoning or evidence that they have to support their arguments. And that will help you fight off your natural emotional reaction so that you can get to the heart of what they really want to say or what they're really after. Now, on to the next. We're moving right along. These next two I grouped together because not only are they both Latin-based, but they're also both relatively similar concepts. You might recognize one from a previous episode as well, but we have ad hominem and tu quoque. Now, I know you've listened to all the episodes, so you know that tu quoque is the hypocrisy fallacy, but ad hominem is similar in the fact that it actually targets the person who's making the argument more than the actual argument that they're making. So an ad hominem argument would be someone saying something along the lines of, yeah, coming from a person who fill in the blank with whatever they are opposed to. A famous example of this would be the way that people try to downplay Martin Luther King's work by 
having affairs with mistresses that weren't his wife, for example. Attack essentially is to disprove anything that he's saying. It doesn't happen to address any arguments that he would make against racism or for civil rights. It just tries to attack his character to make him seem less credible. Of course, to Coqui is very similar in the fact that it targets the actions of the individual more than the person itself, right? To try to do the same thing, tries to discredit that argument by whatever they do. It doesn't actually address the actual arguments that are being made. It is just seeking to discredit the person who's making the argument by saying they're a bad person or that they do bad things. An example of this would be if somebody said stealing is bad and they said, yeah, coming from a high school dropout. Obviously, that still doesn't negate the fact that, yes, stealing actually is bad, but they tried to negate the argument. And that's the exact reason that this is a fallacy is it seeks to misrepresent or dodge the argument that's actually being made. The way to defeat this is to make sure that the conversation is focused on the topic. Explain that the argument being made is irregardless of the person that's making the argument and that what's right and wrong doesn't change based on who's saying it. Refocusing the argument on the topic that's at hand is also very helpful when trying to disarm both ad hominem and to coqui fallacies. Where this gets really interesting too is when people start to combine multiple fallacies together to make a I guess, hybrid fallacy that can be equally, if not more effective than these ones individually. And here would be some examples of ways that people could combine different fallacies together to make a hybrid fallacy. I'll give you a little scenario. Say John is very passionate about human excellence, for example, and he's making claims about how awesome the successes of humanity are. And another friend of yours named, I don't know, Dave says, what does John know about excellence? What has he done? He's done nothing with his life. Not to mention, there have been some absolutely vile people in history. How is it possible to talk about such excellence when there's been such bad people? I know a few. My ex-girlfriend was one. Now, I encourage you right now to pause the episode and try to see if you could pick out all the logical fallacies that I used in that example. I'll let you use this time right now to guess. If you want a hint, I will say that there are four logical fallacies in that example. Last chance to figure it out. All right, answer coming in three, two, one. Okay, so there was an ad hominem as Dave attacked John's character. There's a two quoque when he talked about the things that John does. There was a straw man built as he talked about how there have been bad people, even though that wasn't John's argument in the first place. And there was anecdotal evidence as he talked about his ex-girlfriend. So you can see how these fallacies can kind of weave together into a coherent argument, but kind of falls apart upon closer inspection. But you have to be careful because they can come pretty quickly at you. So you do have to be quite diligent to be able to pick up and catch all of them as they come at you. I mean, that was four of them in the span of, what, 15 seconds? So it is very common. It is something that's not really taught, which is kind of surprising that these kind of logical fallacies aren't frequently taught in schools because I think it is a thing that people grow up with and it's so popular that you can even see politicians and celebrities using these kind of fallacies to develop their arguments. But it's that time of the episode. It's weekly takeaway time. I think I need to get a jingle for the weekly takeaway. I think that'd be kind of fun. But anyway, this week's weekly takeaway is knowing the tactics that people will try to use to convince you of a certain premise can help you to not only gauge whether what they're saying is true or not, but it can help you develop your own logical opinions that will be effective in any conversation. So this is why I'll always say, you know, know what you believe and then furthermore, know why you believe it. That's the most important thing is why do you believe what you believe? 
do you believe what you believe because it's grounded in actual evidence and it's grounded in research that would back up the, your claims? Or do you believe it because somebody of authority believes it or told you to believe it? Or maybe you heard a celebrity say it. I'm always going to be in the camp of backing up things that you believe with research or having a definite and describable reason as to why you believe what you believe. But quick announcement, your boy's on TikTok now. That's right. And I put a bonus fallacy in one of the TikToks. Additionally, I added it to this episode, except I didn't explain it. If you're really listening close, you probably picked up on it. But please go show a little love over there, especially if you'd like to interact with the video side more. I know that I got a face for podcasting. Ouch. But I got a bunch of fun stuff planned for that. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found something that you can add to your life or to the life of somebody around you. Please share this episode so others can hear and benefit as well. You know we're building here. Oh, you don't believe me? Do I have to go get the main woman herself? You going to make me do that? Mom! Community. Yeah, unbelievable. I can't believe you guys made me do that. You heard the woman, though. We're building the community here. Go ahead, share it. We're building something great here, people. So I thank you. I appreciate you. This has been Will with Thoughts That Count. I'll see you next time. Bye.